0: good morning and welcome back to hope wednesday Excuse me, I am Elisa Flakes, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I am here at Hope Wednesday hoping to inspire families and couples and individuals to be hopeful about the life that God died for them to have through the integration of psychology and theology. Yes, that is my objective. It is to collide the two disciplines so that we can understand that they're compatible and to understand that we are body, we are soul. And we are spirit, and in order to have an effective life and to have an abundant life, we have to learn how to navigate through each and every one of those domains. So I'm excited about that, and we're really um, looking forward to today's topic. Today's topic is parenting and communication with our small children, our teens, and with adults. That is so important that we continue to the conversation about building. Remember, communication is about building. We're rebuilding or we're building. So, that is the catalyst for communication. So, I would like to try to reframe it so that when we hear communication, That We can look at it from a positive perspective and not just, "Uh uh-oh, I'm being called to the principal's office or there's an issue or there's conflict. But if we reframe communication and look at it from the lens of I get to build, I get to build love, I get to build relationship, I get to build my children, we get to build together, we're building our community through language and communication. So I'm excited about that. So thank you for joining us. Um, please share, please um, let someone know that we're, we're making things better. We're, we're sharing information so that we can have better lives and a better world and better families. All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to share your word, to share behavioral science to co- to combine those two disciplines and to help us to be a better people to love to love you oh god and to love ourselves and to love our communities through mental health through communication we thank you for this opportunity now i pray that you would arrest our attention help us to hear and understand help us to slow things down long enough to hear what we need to hear to make our lives richer to make our relationships richer and fuller so that we might have, oh God, the best lives that we can have, and that we can become the best part of ourselves, oh God, that you would have us to be. We thank you for this opportunity, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we have a lot to cover, so I'm going to jump right into it, and I'm going to share some quotes with you all. And the first quote, um, it says, effective communication depends much more on your tone of voice and body language than the words you say. So yeah, today in talking about communication, we're really emphasizing tonality and we're really emphasizing its impact on our communication styles when we communicate with anyone, but more particularly today, our small children, our teens and our adult children. I have some more. It says 90% 90 of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So that's something to remember as well. 10% of conflicts are due to the difference in opinion. 90% are due to wrong tone of voice. Can you imagine that? 10% of conflicts are due to difference in opinion. 90% are due to the wrong tone of voice. So tone is really important. I'm gonna read two more. It says, sometimes people will hear you better if you speak with a voice of compassion instead of authority. They long to be understood more than lectured. And finally, I thought this was so cute. It says, the tongue, it has a child speaking and it says, the tongue can paint what the eyes can't see. So that is the, the premise and that is the, the, the launching place where we're going to start today and talking about communication and tone and tonality. And we know that even as far as if we take it back to small children, we'll start there, um, they're more likely to be inclined to respond positively to the tone of a soft tone, which is from the mother. So when we talk about tones, let me back up some, we want to look at it from the relationship of the way, the emotion, the volume, the, the, um, the communication the musical one person called it like a the musical melody of how you carry your words the musical melody of how you um how your your words and the meanings travel because the tonality picks up emotions it picks up attitudes it picks up more than what the the literal words that you're saying but it also it is part of um. How? What, what? What? are the emotions connected to this? So, emo- so tones have a lot to do with singing. For example, most men have like baritone; they have deep voices. So it's kind of like this: like they kind of hear boom, boom, boom. Like if without even hearing the words, you have to understand. Small children can only pick up the tones, so they're hearing boom, 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 boom. No, don't stop. Whatever. Hi, baby. So they're hearing in that baritone. And then when it's time for them to hear from their mother... It's more like a higher tone, like a cling. Hi, how are you? Hi, baby. And so that's the fluctuation. So whenever we talk about the tone, we're talking about the influx of the voice and of the the, the musical. We could use the, the musical expression of how the words are being communicated. And so we know that with babies, they don't understand the exact words. And even with animals, they don't understand the exact words, but they take cues from how it sounds now something interesting that does not change as we progress and as we get older we still take cues from tone the baritone the the influx in the tone the the pitch or you know how it's said and we'll give some examples of that but it was very interesting I found some information that said that there's a part of our brain, there's, there's our, there are neurons in our brain called the neural cortex that are processing, not just what words are being said, but how those words are being said. So it's not even about, you know, decoding the meaning of a word, but it's also important that we pay attention to the the vehicle or the the song in which we're singing our message. are we singing? what pitch are we singing in? what type of pitch we're, that we're communicating our messages because there is a part of our brain that's listening to that it's just not trying to decode it's just not trying to identify what's being said, but it's really attuned to how you're saying it. And we've heard it so many times throughout our life. It's not always what you say, it's how you say it. So babies are looking for, even from natural, babies are looking for soothing sounds and soothing sounds are more um, melodic in the mother's voice. And it's almost like a pleasant song, like, hi, baby, how are you? And if you notice, We tend to sing to babies when we talk, you know, hi, hi. And then when they're um, modeling back, they seem to reflect that song. And it doesn't change throughout life, it just kind of progresses into other types of of sounds, but we're, we're all very sensitive to tone, to the pace, the pace of which something is being said, the volume babies are very sensitive to volume, So how loud you're speaking, it can startle that the baby. So that's all part of tone. And then the emphasis, and then the pauses, that's all that all composes tonality. So there's the pace, the value, the emphasis, the pauses, and so we want to remember that because it doesn't change. Remember everything has an origin, and the origin begins even we can take a lot of um examples from how babies respond. We don't change much from how what we need and what is most um effective in communication. The baby is an empty slate, and we get to see. Naturally, there are adaptations, we learn how to adapt to loud voices, we learn to adapt to tones and pitches, but for the most compatible voice and the most compatible form of communication, there has to be a tone that is, um, you know, that is palatable or that is that you're able to receive because remember the tonation can impact the entire message for example there there's a common example on the internet of one sentence and it just says it depends on how you influx your voice how you how you say it it can change the meaning how you say it can change the meaning for example I never said she stole the money I never said she stole the money so that's one way of saying it, where it's just a neutral. It's almost like, you know, when you're teaching the choir and you say, just stay neutral, just stay, you know, not three part, it's just, um, just in unison. I never said she stole the money. I never said she stole the money. It's almost like singing. We're singing and our communicating. And then you can say, I never said she stole the money. See how that changes it? Because if you make an emphasis on a word, it changes the meaning, even though you have the same commun- communicators, the same language, the same words, it is communicated differently through different expressions and different tonalities and different pauses and different values and different emphasis. And, or I never said she stole the money. I never said she stole the money. That's still implying that someone stole the money, you know, that you still think that, and you know, who stole the money. And so those are just two, it's just, it's just two examples to look at and to practice as you're practicing with your tonalities, remembering that what you say, how you say it, the emphasis that you play after you select your words, after you uh, select the things you want to say, how you say them the pauses you make, the emphasis, how loud you say them, they all are part of the receiver receiving the message. So it's a little more difficult than what we were taught. We were initially just taught, you know, just, we were taught just to communicate and we weren't taught the rules of communication. We weren't taught to slow down and pay attention to our tone, to slow down, to pay attention to, Um, the verbal cues, because there's also, you know, verbal and nonverbal cues, such as, you know, when you're talking to someone, you can be, you can roll your eyes, you can, um, you can grimace, you can frown, it's your body posture. And when you're speaking to a baby, that eye contact and you're smiling and the baby begins to mirror that. That's all a part of your communicative message and a part of your tone. And, or if you're frowning, if you're angry with the baby, the baby mirrors it and the baby begins to, um, interpret that as something's wrong with the, with, with the baby, not something's wrong with you, but it becomes internalized. So even how we look is a part of our tone and part of our presentation and communication. And it goes a long way. And most of us, if we're healthy, when we communicate with babies, we're our most patient self. So I'm glad we're starting here because this reminds us that we do have, if you're healthy, you do have a most healthy self. And you do have a communication style that is gentle, that is, Helpful, that is building, and that is considerate. So we want to remember that. We want to remember that in communicating as we go through each step to the small children, we're going to go to that, and to the teens and to the adults, that everything is being picked up. Your tone, your emphasis, the volume you use, and um, your just all of it. It all plays a role. It it expresses your attitude. And when your attitude comes forward before the message, then people have a hard time, um, hearing your message because your message is being blindsided or being blocked by your emotion and by your negative emotion or by your anger. All of those things can stop the, the, um, the successful delivery of your communication. So it's important. It's harder than we thought. But it's necessary. So, and when we're looking at um, children zero to five, uh, again, more so in the toddler age or in the the, the school age, elementary age school um, children, the communication continues where they're going to be listening. They're listening, they're listening for tonality, they're listening for anger, they're listening for approval, they're listening for pleasantry. And what is important to remember is that the brain cannot learn under stress. Because if you're in the fight, if there is, if a child feels threatened or if a child feels alarmed in their nervous system, they're no longer able to communicate. That's a hindrance. That's a roadblock to interaction between your small child. Because now they're alerted, they're afraid, and that part of their brain shuts off and they're just feeling. We spoke about it last week. Remember, our children are more emotional than rational and communication is a rational action. So if we want our children to be best and to learn how to communicate and to receive our communication, we have to make sure they're in a position emotionally calm to be able to receive what we're saying. And we have to know that when we get our pitch, when we get our anger, when we get our facial cues, if they're angry, then that's going to be difficult for the child to hear the message. It's going to distort the the decoding of the information that you're trying to give the child. And it's not going to be a loving um, communication. And remember, communication is for building and rebuilding. And it's for um, love and for enhancing our relationship with one another. It's relationship. It's an opportunity for relationship enhancement. And um, so communication is a love tool, right? So here we have it. We have our young children. Um, when we want to communicate with them, it's important that we have eye contact. You know that we're not on our phone. You know that, but that we're giving them atten- we're giving them our attention. Because remember, they're taking in what you say, how you say it, what your body's doing, and they're learning. And so, when someone is in a learning position and posture, that takes a lot of patience, and it takes for the teacher to be um, uh, alerted to the fact that. That the student is at this stage of learning. So you have to adapt your communication to this child. And sometimes we talk to children like they're adults... And they're not, they, they need specialized communication, just like they have specialized education and they matriculate through the education system. They need specialized communication. They, they receive information differently. The parts of their brain that's developed is the amygdala first, and it goes forward to the prefrontal cortex. So that means they're all feelings. They're listening through the filter of their feelings. So in order to relax that part of their brain so that they can begin to develop listening through the prefrontal cortex, you have to use a tone that is neutral. And I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying that we're not gonna be impatient. We're not, I'm not saying that we're not gonna snap. But when we become aware of who we're talking to, and this becomes universal because we're gonna need the same respect as we get older and talk to our, our children, our teens, our young adults, our peers, our husbands. So it's okay to understand that we have to take our take a breath, and we have to to be cognizant of the fact that people are listening through us, to us through the filters of their emotions as well. So we want to bridge past that and respect that, and communicate with neutrality and with um, emphasis on we want to praise what's praiseable, and when it's time to correct our children. It is, it is time to use that neutral tone and to also get the good eye contact and to also, uh, stay really focused on your intent. What are you trying to communicate? Are you, because a, a lot of times the message gets lost and it's worth repeating in frustration. Your child does something you don't like and you're feeling, you're communicating how you're feeling rather than how to build and how to correct it. Communication is just not about you. It is about the person who is receiving your information. It's a two-part and the commune part means that there is a dialogue between two people and it is just not for you to express how you feel to vent on your child or to tell your child how frustrated you are but it is to build understanding. It's for the vehicle of understanding. So we get to remain neutral. Neutrality is important when we are dealing with children, Neutra- appropriate neutrality, neutrality when we're disciplined, and excitement when we're excited. Sometimes we have to over-exaggerate. You know That's why the cartoons and all of those things are animated because children, are, they're emotional and they can cue into I'm really happy. Good job. They they can also cue into, they can overemphasize if you're, get over here right now. Because remember, everything is exaggerated in their little filling mind. So we don't need to add all of the intense emotional part to it. When we're disciplining our child, we just need to teach the lesson because remember, discipline is instruction. It is not for us to emotionally, um, just dump on our children or to emotionally get our needs met or, you know, for the ventilation or to any of those things, but it is correction. We are constantly communing and teaching. So it just, a dab will do you. It doesn't take a lot. It takes a lot of excitement when we're praising our children, when we're communicating what we like, because our brains, the way our brains are set up is that we're more, um, we're more likely to draw attention to the negative. So if we hear negative speech, that's going to stand out more than the positive speech. And I don't know if that's connected to the fall or how that works, but so we have to be careful. It's easier for our child to develop an inner critic and a negative voice and to magnify the negativity you give them than to magnify the praise you give them. So your praise always has to be louder than your criticism or your or your corrective voice, however you use it. Because remember, in correcting, the goal is to, to change the behavior. It is not to shame it is not to punish and it's very important that we remember the sensitivity of our brains because with that misunderstanding or the miscommunication of your tone your child can get the impression that they're not good enough that you don't like them and the enemy will make sure that they get that message and so you don't want them to get a false message that you don't love them and and you you know to misread your cues You want to be sure that they understand, I love you and I'm going to correct you. Because criticism is difficult to a sensitive child. It just is. It's sensitive to adults too. And when you run into adults who are sensitive, it's probably because they never had an opportunity to really build a praise a praise voice in their head and so they're used to hearing things from the lens of criticism of their upbringing so it's important to remember that to remember that when you're communicating with your child that you you get to communicate what you need from your child and let your child know clearly what they what that you are you want to change the behavior you accept them, you wanna communicate that you love them, but the behavior needs to change. And when you're dealing with small children, again, neutrality, and you deal with positive opposites. So when your child is running around at that age where you wanna say, no, stop, don't quit, they had a T-shirt that said, I think my name is no, don't stop, quit. Because parents are, no, don't stop, quit, no, don't stop, quit. And so just that negative imagery of just alertness, of fear and panic, is being communicated to the child. But what needs to be communicated to the child is what to do. Remember, we're not trying to destroy the personality or the the will of the child, we're just trying to teach the the child through discipline and correction. So instead of no, don't stop, quit, it is important that we communicate what we need the child to do in a respectful manner. Because remember, the child is learning how to communicate respect by the way we respect the child. Please keep your feet on the floor. Please sit down. Please stop. Please sit down. Please chew your food. Please stop talking at the table. The problem we have with saying please, and even sometimes you can take that off, but In some cultures, the problem we have with please is we feel like I'm not negotiating with the child. I'm the parent. I'm the adult figure and they're going to listen to me. But if you don't teach your child respectful communication, they won't feel respected and they won't be able to um, give to model respectful communication when they go out to the community. We are teaching our children. No, I didn't have these skills Um, with most of my children. I got them with my last child, and it made the difference. So I hope that I can give you these tools. And again, the goal is not 100%, it's to strive for 100%. And in the process of striving for 100%, we just get better. And we become alerted to how do I communicate? And it's prevention. It's early intervention. Instead of doing therapy and surviving your childhood, we can teach, we can communicate to our child and build a relationship through communication that makes a healthy child. And it just takes peeling back, taking the time to know who we're talking to, to know that the child, it's our responsibility to communicate through instruction. The Bible says that a teacher must be patient. So we are, we have to be patient with our child. We have to give clear, concise instructions. Put your feet, walk in the hall. Because we'll say, stop running. When, okay, so now the child is skipping. When all we need to say is, please walk in the hallway. And then without all of the extra emotional things that help us to feel good because we want to get our emotions out, we get to tell them what's going to happen we get to communicate clearly when you run in the hall then you're going to get whatever consequence you get to you get to explain you get to clearly define the what's going to happen but it takes calm communication because what happens is is there becomes an inner struggle if you're arguing and you're fussing at your child it disrupts the connection and the unity and then your child begins to put stoppers in their ears. They learn how to tune you out because it is agonizing. It is emotionally torturous to hear your voice. And remember, you know, like the Flintstones, I think it was the, no, it was the Jetsons. They did it in the Flintstones. They did a really good job in depicting the the mumbling sounds of how voices sounds. It's blah 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 or da, 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 See, that annoyed you just hearing me do that. Your children are listening to the musical sound of your tonation. And they begin to put imaginary stoppers and they learn how to, to ignore you. So it stops the relationship of love building and it stops your responsibility of correction and being a loving, direct voice. Yes, there is a way to be, to be stern. I'm not saying that every conversation is going to be Pollyannish, but there is even a neutrality. You can change your wording, pick that up. That's clear. You know, it's clear, direct, and to the point, and so it is just being mindful of how you're communicating to your young child, knowing that your young child has a difficult time understanding facial cues, and then and then when we're dealing with um, a teens, let's skip over to teens because we're we're running out of time, and I want to hit everyone. Remember, we're starting the conversation. Can't finish it, but we're starting the conversation, and that was um, dealing with our smaller children. Remember tonality, how loud it is. You know that our facial cues—they're picking up on that. And then we come to um, adolescents. and guess what? Adolescents have a difficult time because of hormones and because their amygdala and where where the emotions are being um, constructed and and being felt. They're very emotional and they misread. I read a study that discussed how they misread information. They misread facial cues. They're, they're just getting it all wrong at this stage. They're just so confused and they and they're very sensitive to I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. You don't love me. They have all this incoming negative communication that really can block what you're trying to say to your child. So you have to be very pointed. I mean, this is like a science and I wish I would have utilized this more growing up with my children. I used the best that I had, which was God's word and just experience. But I'm telling you for children, teenagers, it's like a science. You, you just have to do the work you have to pay now or pay later. And what I was saying was, their ability to encode decode informa- information is difficult because they see everything as a egotistical negative jab at them, you know, just negative. Or if they see positive, they feel like everyone loves them. They see in extremes. They see everyone loves me or everyone is angry with me. And those are distorted messages. So they can't even read facial cues. So you have to be very patient and you have to know that now you're switching to the teen to the teen brain and to the teenager and knowing that they feel more than they think. So everything that you're communicating, they're going to be very sensitive to your tone, your volume, your pauses, everything. They're, they're going to feel every letter of the word that comes out of your mouth and it's not the time to say oh you're so dramatic oh you're being a teen because they didn't ask for this this is just the start, the part of their life where they're very sensitive and they're very um you know in their in their emotional mind remember we talked about the emotional mind and we talked about the um rational mind and the wise mind it's very difficult for the child to the teenage child to be in the wise mind which is operating in their emotions and their rational mind so you have to model it we have to model it, model it we have to match the the tone nation that we want to have we want to we want to mirror the calmness and the communicative style and how to express your feeling we're feelings we're taking them on the voyage of how to communicate. Not just what you need, but how you feel. In this stage of their life, it's getting able, getting them to process and to make sense out of what they're feeling. As a small child, that's more instructive and they're starting to learn about feelings. But that's more just the basics of communicating and understanding and language, using language to get your needs met. In, teen, in the teen area, it is more about expressing everything I'm feeling and processing and beginning to rationalize my emotions and understand my emotions. So if for teens, if you're wanting to get teens to speak to you more and to communicate, you have to model respect. You have to model um, validation. Validation is respect. It's saying that I see you, I hear you, and I understand. I see you. I hear you and I understand I don't have to agree, but I have I get to empathize. I get to hear what you're saying because if ever the saying was true, people don't care how much people don't care, people don't care how much how much you know until they know how much you care. So teenagers are wanting to know how much do you care, not just what you know. So coming in from a validation perspective and an empathetic perspective perspective is understanding life from their world communicating life from their world not from your adult world not from your ceo world not from the world with you and your spiritually uh a, a, you know astute coworkers or or peers in church but you have to understand that teen world is a world and in their world this is their reality and to begrade degrade them, and to berate them, that's not our objective. Communication is to educate, not to berate, and not to degrade and It is a really a time of patience in this area and then when kids when they shut down and when they can't hear you or when they don't want to talk, it's very dangerous because. You can't build a relationship with them. They can't know that they're not alone. Suicide rates are really high. And if they're not talking to you, they're talking to their friends. They're communicating with their friends. And the enemy would have it that they would feel like, oh, my mom doesn't understand, or my mom's always mad, or my mom's always busy, or my mom doesn't want to hear from me. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say, but social media will hear. I can use social media as my journal. I can use my friends and tell them and my friends can tell me. And so what you have is a bunch of people who are drowning without a lifeguard. You know, they're all in the same boat. And sometimes people like that. You know, when they say, I want someone who understands. And what they're saying is, I want someone who understands what it feels like to drown or what it feels like to be under pressure. But as an adult, we get to come in and understand and also have wisdom and instruction to impart to them, but we can't impart any wisdom or communication until we understand how they feel. Feelings are their primary language, their primary mode of communication. That's their primary language. So we can't move past that. We can't make a teenager rational. We have to park there and deal with their feelings. We have to be sensitive to to, to communicate um, that we understand their feelings and that we're not angry with them. We have to make the point the point, And we have to process our frustration with our peers. Like even if we're angry. I can't believe they did this. Ugh. We can't bring that over to the child. And say I can't believe you did this. Or that was a question. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That was questionable. See when we get to the child. We say that was questionable. Tell me what you were thinking. Tell me how how did you come to that conclusion. You know. So whenever we want to get our, our anger out, like, I taught them better than that. I can't believe they did that. They know better than that. Da, da, da. That's how we process our emotions. And we need to practice processing our emotions before we come to our child. Because when we come, by the time we come to our teen, it's time to communicate, I'm, I love you. I still love you. I want to understand what you're going through. Like God, when he showed up in the garden with Adam and said, where art thou? So we have to, we have to have a neutral face because if we're angry or we're rolling our eyes, oh my God, or we're scrawling, you know, grimacing, they can pick up on that. And that shuts them down because now they're emotionally swallowed and they're overwhelmed and they're drowned in their emotions. And so their fight or flight says, run. Their fight or flight says, shut off. That, that Or they fight. And if they fight, they're going to argue back at you, which we call disrespectful. So we have to understand when children and when adults are in the fight or flight stage, when they're emotionally dysregulated, it's hard to communicate. Either they're going to shut down because they feel like they can't win, or they feel like they're going to get in trouble for just dis- disrespecting you or they're going to fight and they're going to be disrespectful and they're going to say whatever they want to say and it's going to escalate and then you're going to be in an unhealthy communication with your child. So remember, process before you if you have a question, I mean, you have to be intentional. By the time you show up with your teen, you have to be ready. You have to be intentional. What am I going to say? What what do I want to communicate? you know, you, you just can't fly off the hip. What, what are my concerns? How do I want to pose them? Know who my child is, know how the child filters information. Is my child sensitive? Does my child have a sense of humor? Because again, you're building, you're communicate to build, not to berate, not to vent, not to shame, not any of those things, but to communicate love, concern, and education. So when, you're, when, you're, when the child shuts off, remember, that's what's happening. They're in the either fight or flight. And this is how you get a child to open up. We said, again, ref, being um, empathetic, invalidating, because if they feel like you hear, they're likely to speak. And then, don't interrupt. I have that bad. Interrupting and jumping to conclusion. Interrupting and jumping to conclusion. Let's start with interruption first. Interrupting has to do usually with you feel like there's miscommunication or there's something going on with you at the root of it emotionally. Like you get excited and you you just wanna fix it or you you're fearful that they're going down the wrong path and you wanna immediately say, no, that's not the truth or no, don't do that or no, you're wrong. So you wanna interrupt. So it is about, controlling yourself. And the way to do that is to know that you're emotional, to know that you're about to have an emotional conversation, to practice breathing and pausing, to practice controlling yourself and notice what's going on with you. Like if you feel your heart beating fast to acknowledge, boy, I'm getting upset. You know, what can I do to calm down? You can do two things at once, but it takes mindfulness and communication to be mindful of what's going on with you or you'll interrupt You'll jump. You'll you'll cut off. You know. You'll 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 talk at your child. It'll be a lecture more than it will be a conversation. And sometimes that's what happens. We just get on a roll and we ask a lot of rhetorical questions. And that's not two way communication. We have to leave room for two way dialogue. If you're just speaking to your child, that's not communication. Communication is when your child is speaking to you and you're speaking to your child and you're getting an understanding. And you're building the relationship, you're building information, and you're building together. You're building in each other's world. So that's what happens. Jumping to conclusions, again, sometimes we've been there, done that, you know, so we kind of know where it's going, but that stops the child in their track. When you, well, I know how that's going to end, that's going to fail, or, oh, you, you were trying to, you were trying to do this, and you were trying to, you know, deceive me. Let the child explain. Because even though God knew why Adam did what he did, he set through it and let him explain. So that's a, that's a, it's, you have to learn your default and what's difficult for you as a communicator. And, and know how you're contributing to your child not speaking because sometimes we want to put it on the child and say, oh, they just have an attitude. They don't like to talk. They shut down. They're moody. But if we check and make sure we're doing all that we can do to create a safe environment, that will facilitate more conversation and that will allow them. And then to have um, open-ended questions like, what do you think about this? Or tell me about this. Or how was your day? What was stressful about your day? Not just closed in. Did you have a good day? Yes or no? No. Yes. If you want your child to open up and to show interest, you ask, tell me about your day. What was the most important thing about your day? What's exciting going on with you and your friends right now? That opens up the the avenue and the airways for open communication. And it takes time. Most of us are busy. And you have to dedicate time. If you're going to be in your, uh, communicate with your child and enhance the relationship, you have to just take some time, some one-on-one. Children love that from all ages. And we as adults, we do too. We like to be priority. We don't want to have a conversation while someone's doing this. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because we know that, that they're not paying attention. And our teen, when they have our full attention, eye contact, then they're more likely to listen to us. And then if things are really difficult, you can do some kinesthetic talking, communicating, meaning that you're going to do an activity while you talk. This is um, less interrogative and some kids are shy and you respect that. And so when you get moving with your body, you know, you're cooking dinner or you're working in the garden or you're on a walk or you're doing something or you're driving even, even drives that something about that facilitates conversation and communication. And it's a time to just listen. And listening is also communication. So if you feel like, well, I didn't say much, you don't have to say much because listening is a part of communication, reflecting back what they said to you for clarity. And you know, the yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah, I can see how you did that. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Those are all sayings that you can use to allow your child to begin to talk to you because as your child feels safe and talks to you as a teenager, the chemical that comes into play is oxytocin. It is a bonding chemical and you begin to bond. You bond with your child through communication. Some people think that it's just buying them something or giving them money, but by communicating and getting in their world, you are creating the bonding chemical in their brain and they remember you and they remember their interaction as pleasant because you were there and you were able to listen. That's why they want to talk to their friends. That's why they want to be on the phone all night because something happens a bonding agent happens when, it, when you communicate and when the teenager communicates. So you don't want that bonding to take place with someone who is unfruitful because then you'll try to get them away from that person. But this person listens to them, but this person is patient, but this person is kind. And so that draws them into a connection, a bond with that person. And you want to know why they feel closer to their friends and closer to other people. It's because they're Communicating with other people. So the just like with adults, the lack of communication separates you. On the on the when they were building at Babel, when they stopped communicating, they stopped building. So when you and your teenagers stop communicating, you stop building. So yeah, kinesthetic talking, it works, you know, and you must have fun with your child. Be a fun person, not just disciplining, but communicating that I love you non-verbally and verbally so that is for our, our teenagers moving right along oh we're making time here we got a few more minutes to talk about our adults and remember we're, we're taking all of our information wait I'm sorry I need to back up I forgot this important information 10 things I'm just going to read them real quick 10 things to parents to avoid emotionally and we kind of covered this but if you want to write this down 10 things in parenting to avoid. Emotionally reacting over things that upset you. Remember, you're the adult. Your teen doesn't need to agree with your ideas. They need only to follow them. So if they, oh, I hate doing the dishes. Well, you know, that's interesting that you hate doing the dishes because you're still going to do them. See how neutral that was? I'm I'm the master (laughs) at neutrality when it comes to that. Listening with an agenda. Remember, don't listen with an agenda like a control tactic. Listen to your child to hear what they have to say. Ask questions to clarify. Help them think through the process of what they are saying, you know, what they're saying, even if it's a little weird. Listen with an agenda to just listen, not to trap your child, not to say, uh-huh, I knew it. I knew, so so where were you going? What were you doing? So, you know, leading to to a, a pit, and then when they fall in, it's like you trap them. So we don't listen with an agenda. And number three, don't assume you know what your teen is thinking and feeling and and punishing on that assumption. Be sure to listen to them carefully, clarify, try not to make assumptions like God. Remember God, he He allowed Adam to say what was going on, even though he knew. So you may know, but when you speak to your child, like, let your child give you their version, give them your, tr- give them, give you their truth. Number four, avoid shaming your child by sending messages that are bad and, and, other judgment calls. Don't make their behavior about bad or good. Make it about what will work for them in life. Because remember, if you, if a child will, will, however a child feels, they interpret it. they interpret that as who they are. So if they feel bad, they'll believe that they're bad So, we want to separate who they are from their actions. You are not your actions. I love you, and we're questioning is this the best behavior for the life that you want to lead? So, we have to be very careful. We want to attack the problem and not attack the child. We have to clearly separate. I love you. And this choice is concerning, or this is not going to get you where God wants to take you, or where you want to be. So remember, you have to separate the behavior from the child in the communication. Number five, being consi- being inconsistent. Try to avoid being inconsistent. You know, changing the rules, changing your level of anger, communicating. Um, sometimes you're okay with things they do, and then sometimes you're angry and you're very forceful with it. It. it it doesn't breed predictability. Children's, children need consistency for predictability. Number six, venting to your child, especially about the other spouse or ex-spouse. Your teen is not your therapist, so watch how you communicate because you can make your communication with them negative and they don't want to talk to you because it's like you're always talking about my parent or you're always talking about the bills or you're always talking about your problems and your child is not your therapist. Number seven, Commute, avoid unleashing a 100 issues at one time. You know, you did this, this, this. You need to do your homework. You need to clean up the room. You need to get ready for choir rehearsal. You need to, all of those things. Remember, one thing at a time is best. Finally, regurgitating the past. No one likes that, especially when they're trying to change, you know, because teens want to feel like they're moving forward. And they need cheerleaders. They need support because they have a negative voice in their head f- throughout the pure community and the world and the enemy that is against them, that is telling them they can't make it. So you want to be able to, to use their past as instruction. You learn from that. You did a good job from learning. If you bring up the past, it is to bring up the strength of the past. You learn from that. It is not to say, you always, remember you used to do this? Because no one grows in criticism and no one grows in shame so we want to create accountability but we also want to create loving accountability so finally we'll close out with our adults this is the most difficult i think transition to make because we always see our children as our children and what happens in adulthood is that they become the ceo of their lives and so you're wondering I've been the CEO for so long. How do I communicate to them? How do I relate to them in a different way? And some people never make the transition and never make the adjustments and never pivot. And they continue to speak to their child as a CEO of the the executive officer of the child's life. Excuse me. And it just makes for poor communication. And remember, communication Good communication makes good relationships. And if your child, your adult child, pulls, pulls back from speaking to you, they're pulling back from sharing their world with you. you you're no longer connected. Communication connects, and you want to continue the communication. So it's very important that we remember that we're no longer the CEO, that we are at best, you know, a consultant. We're a, we're, and we're a silent partner because we're partnering with the Lord and our assignment doesn't end. And although we can't just say whatever we want to say and demand them to do things, we still get to pray and we get to share constructively in a loving manner, in a respectful way, our concerns you know, and after we share our concerns, we have to trust God, that God is going to deal with them and that God is speaking. When we're silent, God is speaking. And that's one thing that we have to to understand that we're in partnership with God for our children and for, um, to help them to get to their purpose. So sometimes the fear and sometimes the, um, just the fear comes upon us and we feel like we have to speak because I'm a teacher by trade. And I think that for my much speaking, I'm going to allow my children to avoid pitfalls and it didn't happen. You know, the pitfalls that they fell in, they chose pitfalls. And I have to remember that in concert with God, that I, I am now as an adult parent, I am their consultant. I just, I'm just, I share my concerns And I leave it there because they're independent. They get to choose what they want to use. It's almost like they, they, it's like eating fish. They throw out the bones and they eat the meat. So whatever I say, they get to choose. And hopefully in all of this, if love is there from, from infancy on, love is the key thing. If you're building love and showing respect and, and being respectful, eventually they can take it, but if they're if you're always angry and always judging them, they hear what you're saying through the lens of um, anger, and they become defensive. And so, a defense mechanism is denial. You know, they don't want to hear you. They stop hearing what you have to say, and they just will shut you out, and you won't be able to even be a consultant. So, when they're adults, it's good that we're even able to be consultants because the enemy wants to disconnect our children. From their source, which is you're still their source of information and wisdom if you are wise and connected to wisdom. So we want to balance that. Um, we have we do have wisdom, you all. we have wisdom, parents, but we have to balance that with wisdom because they're independent, they're seeking independence and sometimes our wisdom can be intimidating, it can be condescending, and you have to know your style of communication. you have to know what your um, default is, it's almost like um, when you you can minimize their intelligence, which makes you like feel like they may see you as being condescending, arrogant, know-it-all. And although that's not the point, that's how your language can make them feel. For example, when I'm doing play therapy with parents and children, I tell them, don't, don't build a, co- Don't draw a, you know, a a Picasso when your child is scribbling because what will happen is they'll stop and say, "Do mine." They'll have no confidence in what they're doing, so it's almost like you should draw with your left hand. You should color with your left hand so that you're joining their world and they're not intimidated. So when you're having a conversation, it is not about. um, It's just about not superseding them not using the big words not using your intellect as a a tool to um one up them you do have more information in most cases but it's important that you use your wisdom wisely And understand that they're struggling. And if you just minimize their issues, oh, it's easy. You should just da, 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 da. It makes them feel like they're incompetent. So they may not want to communicate with you, but you have to listen like, boy, that's tough for you. So what are you going to do? Or this is what I did. I don't know if it's going to work for you, but it's communicating empathy. So we don't communicate from just the professor, the professor and the lecturer standpoint. That's difficult for me, but... You have to begin to know what's difficult for you and to begin to have a conversation because. Kids want to be an, a part, your your adult children want to be a part of the conversation. They want to contribute. They want to be seen, heard, and understood. And they have a lot to contribute. My, at, at this age, you know, as your children, they have actually, they'll probably pass you up because they have a double portion. They have what you gave them, and then they have what they're learning. So they have, a, that's what the double portion is about. And so they do have the skills and you get to encourage that, communicate that through, oh, you'll figure it out. Oh, you're doing a good job. They still need to know that communicating with you is going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be punitive. It's not going to be humiliating. It's not going to be rejecting. So it's important that we remember to maintain our tone, our eye rolls. You have to inform your face. You know, you might need to get Botox so that your face can just be stiff. Ask God to help you have spiritual Botex, or I think that's what it's called. And so that you can just not have, you know, too much expression. You need a poker face and you need to ask God to help you. If you listen intently, mindfully, your mind can control your facial expressions over time. Save yourself some money and just begin to be mindful. Mindfulness will allow you to be aware that you're talking to another adult You're talking to someone who is figuring life out, who is seeking independence, who is just consulting. Because if you give all the answers, then you become their think bank. They have to learn how to think for themselves. They have to learn how to analyze and strategize for themselves. And you have to become a safe person. You have to become a vault. You have to be able to, they have to be able to trust that when they communicate with you, that their information is safe and that you won't bring it back up to hurt them, you won't bring it back up to judge them, but that you love them, and that you are part of building their world, the world that they're trying to build, and communication is the medium that is used to build the world. It allows you access into their world, and you join them with your communication and with your listening, and you help them build together. Our world is, relationships are not working relationships are at a you know I'm, I'm concerned about relationships because people are disposable in this day and age kids are walking away from parents parents used to walk away from kids but now kids are walking away from parents and the tonation of that is toxic and all of these things without even using boundaries before you throw your person away it's important to learn communication skills it's important to learn boundaries and it's important to learn respect. It's important to, to really evaluate the value of communication and relationships. And remember, I'm talking to someone who has feelings, someone who has their own thoughts, someone who has their own desires. And we're coming together to share and to build and to respect each other's uniqueness. And it's not my responsibility to persuade everyone to adopt my, you know, likes and my dislikes, but it is to enjoy each other. So it is important. We want to remember our tonation. We want to remember the different stages. We want to remember that communication is the what we use to, co- to build and to express love, to express concern, to give information. And it's so important God uses it. He created the world with it. You know, he he expresses his love with it. He, express, he expresses his um, characteristics through it. And so we want to make sure that we are taking time to communicate effectively so that we can have effective communication. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage and communication. And it's we're building, we're synthesizing each week. And all of these themes are going to follow us right into marriage. And it's going to take some of the same skills, but we're going to talk about it more in, in, in depth next week on Hope Wednesday. Have a good day, and thank you for joining us.